This is The Dog and Bone. Welcome to The Dog and Bone, a series of podcasts brought to you by Propeller Group, the global PR, content and business development specialist that builds a reputation and growth for companies in media, marketing, retail and technology. I'm Martin Lote, founder of Propeller and curator of The Dog and Bone. In each episode, we invite a business leader with something to say into our kennel for a chat. We ask them to dig up something a bit tasty for us to chew on. What do brands with big budgets want from the marketing agencies and suppliers who work for them? Let's be frank. It's not hard to find garrulous people at agencies, strategy consultancies, media owners and tech companies happy to explain why their offer is the right solution for brands. But getting a brand's dispassionate view on what they need from suppliers, that's harder to get. So in this episode, we're going to explore what really matters to the people in charge of marketing budgets at big brands, the marketing directors and CMOs. And to give us his point of view, I'm joined by Peter Zillig, marketing director for Ford of Europe. Peter is particularly well placed to address this, having been an agency leader himself before joining Ford about 18 months ago. His CV includes spells as CEO of Euro RSCG New York, the production business Tag Worldwide, and Chael UK, the agency. And in fact, he was at Chael, where he was a client of Propeller, which is the sponsor of this podcast. And Peter spoke recently at a Propeller dinner on the theme of what tough truths do agency leaders need to know about what matters to the brand side CMOs they work for, and what, if anything, has changed in the pandemic. And in this podcast, we're going to return to that theme. Peter, welcome to The Dog and Bone. Lovely to be here. Thank you, Martin. Before we get into the meat of the questions I posed, just tell us a little bit about your current job at Ford of Europe and what you look after and what are your responsibilities? Sure. Yeah, so I've, as you pointed out, been with Ford for 18 months now. I joined in uh, the summer of 2020, mid-pandemic, as the marketing director for Ford of Europe. Uh, Ford of Europe is, is made up predominantly of two key businesses. One is obviously the passenger vehicle business. So the Fiestas and Focuses and Mackies of this world, which people should hopefully be familiar with. And then obviously the commercial vehicle business. So those many transit vans that you see riding around the streets of London and other cities. So I oversee those businesses in terms of the marketing function. And obviously the marketing function is made up of the usual channels you would expect. So we oversee all of the both traditional marketing channels. But importantly, um, a big part of my team now is obviously made up of, of uh, overseeing the digital channels that we uh, increasingly are investing in uh, more and more and the e-commerce journey that we're on as well as we start to uh, explore new ways of both marketing and, and selling cars to, uh, to customers. So it's a, an incredibly interesting role at a pivotal time for the industry uh, in terms of both obviously electrification and connectivity and sustainability. And I think a very uh, uh, interesting time to be at Ford, given the, the transformation journey we're on. Just give us an idea of um, the kind of budgets that you oversee uh, in terms of size and one or two of the, the agencies that you work for, so we can just get a, a sense of that context. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I won't name specific budgets, but I, I think we can assume it's in the sort of hundreds of millions in Europe. So it's, it's a lot of money. Uh, and uh, we work uh, with a with a number of agencies. I guess predominantly here in Europe, we work with WPP, uh, a number of agencies within that group. We also work with BBDO, uh, part of Omnicom, so AMV BBDO, and we also work with Imagination uh, around a lot of our experiential work uh, and some of those things. So yeah, they're the three main agency partners in Europe. Right. Now that's good to know. So I mentioned at the start of the 
show that uh, we're going to unpack a little bit about what really matters to people in, in, in your position. And I know that uh, we, we, we had a very interesting dinner quite recently where you spoke on this. Just unpack for us, if you will, what you feel is the most important things that those on the supply side in the marketing world need to be aware of when talking to you and your business. Sure. Well, the first thing is, Martin, it's nice to be in person today because obviously during the dinner I was virtual due to a positive COVID diagnosis. The hybrid dinner, so, but you did very well. Exactly. So there I was on a screen whilst, whilst you guys were all enjoying dinner. Um, I think, um, it, you know, the, the world is changing so quickly, right? And the marketing world obviously is transforming at, at pace today. Um, and um, I think the uh, sort of digital focus is 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 huge now, which is which is obviously changing things, um, you know, a, a lot. But I think to unpick, I guess, some of the things that I feel, you know, are important to the to the agency client relationship. I think I think the first thing that I would highlight is um, is the notion of agility, which obviously I think is very topical. Um, you know, we've all been experiencing probably the most surreal two years of our lives, our working lives and our personal lives during the pandemic. We've all had to adjust, um, both on a personal level and on a professional level. Um, and I think it has obviously um, advanced and accelerated change, I think both on a personal and a professional level. The digital transformation I think we've experienced in the last couple of years is probably something you would normally see over the course of a decade. So I think, you know, agility, the ability to, to pivot, the ability to change at short notice, a plan um, has become increasingly important. And, you know, for me, I think um, it, it's important that we don't treat this as an isolated moment in time. One, we can learn from the last two years, and I think everybody is. I think you'll find very few businesses that are reverting back to how they were working before we've uh, we've all learned good things and there's a silver lining in all of this obviously despite how difficult it's been um but i think we we need to think about those sort of black swan moments such as a pandemic as things that will come along more often given the world that we live in um not only did we at ford have the pandemic to to deal with over the last sort of 18 months two years we've also had a huge semiconductor shortage in the world at large which has really impacted the automotive industry um, every automotive manufacturer not just Ford um, and you know that the sort of backdrop to that again is linked to the pandemic you know lots of people at home having to work digitally suddenly ordering laptops and phones and other devices to work with and of course all the semiconductors went into those products and, and then suddenly there was there was a shortfall so you know we, we've had to deal with that as well which is, has really changed our planning process, we haven't been able to produce as many vehicles. We haven't been able to sell as many vehicles. We've had less vehicles to market. And therefore, that's really changed how we've had to behave in the market, but also obviously changed the demands uh, on, our, on our agencies as well. Peter, do you, think, do you think the agencies are sensitive to things happening in your supply chain or they just want to be focused on what they can do for you on the communications and uh, outward bound marketing side? Well, I think I think that's the difference, isn't it, between an agency that is a supplier versus one that's a partner. And clearly, right. the best agency relationships are partnerships. And I think when you're in a partnership like that, you you make sure that your agency has context for the decisions you're making in the sphere of marketing. And I know we've we've really gone out of our way to make sure that all of our partners, agency partners, understand that backdrop because it's it's so fundamental to the decisions we're making and the investments we're making. Okay, and so that's the need for agility. I know that you had a few other points, though, that you feel are, 
messages that need to be landed with the agency side community? Yeah, I think um, you know one of one of the other things that 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 we've been talking a lot about recently at Ford is how we as a company need to think beyond our category, beyond automotive. And I think that has come about as we've moved towards the electrification of vehicles. But obviously, also, as we've moved towards the digitization of vehicles as well, I mean, getting into an electric vehicle now is not only a different experience in terms of the driving experience, it's also a very different experience in terms of the user experience. You know, the UX, the interface, the screen you're faced Mm. with, the APIs, the fact that your digital life becomes more seamless as you get into the vehicle. In essence, a lot of the things you could do on your iPhone, you can now do in your car. Um, and that, that experience needs to be seamless. And I think, you know, what we've realized is that when people step into a vehicle and attempt to do those things and experience those digital moments in a vehicle, they're not necessarily comparing it to their last vehicle digital experience. They're comparing it to any digital experience. You know, that could have been Netflix at home. It could have been the latest app they've downloaded. Um, it could have been a subscription service they've just, you know, signed up to. It could be any digital experience. And it could be a physical experience as well. You know, walking into a dealership and walking through a potential transaction or a purchase, they may be comparing that to their last purchase at Starbucks, as an example, where they purchased their coffee on an app, even though it's a much smaller purchase. Was that more seamless? Was it easier? So I think one of the things that we've been trying to contextualise, not just for ourselves, but for our agency partners as well, is think beyond the category. And when you talk to us about opportunities in terms of digital and physical experiences, don't just come with examples and benchmark us against our direct competitors, but think about all those really interesting things that are happening in sometimes totally unrelated categories that then could potentially make their way into into what we're doing and help us uh, to be better and, and do a better job. Interesting point. So does it mean the kind of classic marketing training of, you know, category category manager is almost obsolete now? I wouldn't say that because I, I think understanding your product, your category, the dynamics of it are obviously core to anybody's job, and you know, regardless of what they do. But I, I think it's a it's another layer of the onion in terms of, you know, having that perspective and being able to look above the parapet. And we all know that, you know, anybody listening to this today or in in your role or in my role, we often get immersed in what we're doing. It's that sort of blinkered view. And taking those blinkers off and and, and thinking about those other categories, I think, is so important these days. That's very good stuff. So um, tell me a little bit more about relationships you have with your agency suppliers. How has that changed with the kind of hybrid and work-from-home moment? And uh, are relationships more important or are they subservient to the the, the product and the service you're actually getting? Well, I I think the first thing I would say is that, you know, regardless of which agency or partner you may be working with, regardless of what the name above the door is, as every agency will will tell you, and and they're right. Sounds like a cliche. We're only as good as our people, and and for me, an agency has always been about the people in it, and and how they behave, and and what they do, and what that agency culture is, and and how it makes them tick. And I think, you know, the pandemic has made that even more important. I think we've all reevaluated our relationships during the pandemic, both on a personal level, uh, and and also on a professional level. And I think as we've all exited blinking into the bright light of this post-pandemic world again we've considered you know perhaps on a personal level those people that we really want to see again 
and perhaps those people that we didn't miss as much as we thought we might. Right. Um, and then, you know, on an agency level, I think, you know, it's it's also great to be back in real life with our agency partners again in meeting rooms and having the opportunity to interact one-to-one. But again, I think it's really just highlighted the importance of good values, of transparency, of authenticity. Of course, you want creativity and great strategic thinking and all of those things that come with an agency relationship. But I think agency culture, the values, the DNA of the people within the four walls of that agency are incredibly important. And for me, COVID and, and the pandemic has led to people compromising a lot less on their own values and their own expectations and of those around them in terms of those people they want to interact and work with. So I think it's placed even more focus on relationships. And you mentioned the importance of people in the agency community and of course that's right but what are you seeing in terms of agency investment in talent and training given the squeeze on margins which were probably happening anyway and then the further further squeeze during the during the pandemic period, can can agencies live up to your expectations in terms of talent development? Yeah, I I, I think they can. I think um, I think as for all of us, you know, the pandemic will have heightened an agency's focus around where they make their investments. Perhaps the pandemic forced their hand in terms of decisions they were thinking of making in terms of either moving resource around within an agency to areas that they saw growing or being more important digital tech data etc so i think you know back to the um, acceleration of change i think resource decisions have probably been accelerated um but i i think also from a a client perspective it's important that the balance is right between the agency talent and the client talent and that's something that's really struck me uh, in the last 18 months i think um there's no point in the agency hiring great digital talent, great data talent, great technology talent, great creative talent, if the sparring partner's not there on the other side of the stage to, to have those conversations with. Clients and marketeers need to be cognizant of making sure that they're hiring the right talent within their own organisations as well to get the most out of the talent that agencies are investing in. So is there a sh- shortage of digital and, and, and data understanding talent at uh, client side. I think that would surprise a lot of people, given the resources you have. I wouldn't say there's a shortage, but I think there may have been a period over the last 10 years as everybody was learning and trying to get up to speed with, with new ways of doing things and new digital uh, practices that I think many clients may have lent more on agencies to help them get up to speed versus potentially bringing and hiring that talent in-house. And, of course, what you don't want is to have that imbalance between you know, the knowledge and the capability. So my sense is, and, you know, it's not a word I'm a big fan of, but the the sort of levelling up, if I can put it that way, (laughs) between agency and client talent is a really important thing to get the best out of both organisations. I can see the sense in that, but then let's switch to the, you know, an area that perhaps doesn't get discussed as much as it should anymore, but creativity, big ideas, brilliant breakthrough, cut-through creative work. Surely on that levelling up agenda, you do not expect to have a heavyweight creative talent in Ford to go head to head with what you see in Imagination, WPP and AMB BDO. So you, you give them free reign to, to to win that argument, if you like, in terms of uh, creative excellence. Is, is that true or is that a simplification? I, I think I think that's absolutely true. You know, I think that the talent that I'm thinking about is talent perhaps related to, to e-commerce, to CRM, to digital customer journeys. Mm-hmm. 
you know, perhaps more the technical aspect of marketing, if I can put it that way. I think that's where an equality of talent is important across agency and client landscape. But to your point, um, no, we, we, we certainly are expecting the big creative guns to reside agency side and not within Ford. And obviously that's a that's a key decision for, for some of the agencies that we work with. And I think, um, you know, as we as we talk about, you know, creativity and data and digital you know, it's the classic left brain, right brain discussion that we've all been having over the last probably five to ten years. Um, you know, they're not mutually exclusive. They can't be mutually exclusive. They're just as important as each other. And I think perhaps there was an overcompensation for a period of time um, where um, I think to a degree creativity perhaps got not neglected, but but perhaps was taking a bit of a backseat to the investment that either agencies were making in some of the other areas or indeed where clients were placing their focus. But to me, regardless of where, you know, content is appearing, whether it's a piece of TV, TV content, whether it's outdoor, whether it's digital out of home, whether it's happening as VOD, whether it's, um, you know, a, a Facebook piece of content, whatever it might be, you know, the creativity still has to be there in a world that is getting noisier and noisier and more and more cluttered. Um, to me, there is absolutely no point in investing in average work. I mean, if we're going to invest in work, let's make sure it's, it's work that stands out and gets people's attention and is contagious. Um, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's really important that creative work still travels by word of mouth. Um, I remember when I started back in agency life, you know, a couple of decades ago now, you know, we used to talk about the latest ads down the pub. It was a topic of conversation. It was part of the cultural fabric. Um, and I feel we've lost some of that, but I think we have a chance to reignite that, um, given how prolific digital channels are and how much sharing we all do on sharing social media happens, channels. But are you yeah. are you critical then, really, of some of the agencies dropping the ball a bit on creative excellence? Certainly, I share your view that it, there don't seem to be as many memorable big hits in terms of advertising as there were a few years ago. Yeah, I don't think I'd accuse anybody of dropping the ball. I think it's people working out how to create that same level of impact, creative impact, and that same level of, of creative idea and standard of creative idea in a totally different channel or environment. And that, to me, is the challenge. I think I think it's a learning curve, and I think, hopefully, you know, we, we will see that come to fruition now as people start to uh, acclimatise to executing brilliant creative work in, in very, very different channels. You're listening to the Dog and Bone podcast from Propeller Group. If you're enjoying it, please share the link with your network. Subscribe on iTunes or your normal podcast provider. And if you're feeling really inspired, please write a review to help us zoom up the charts. Now, back to the conversation. I suppose you're very well placed to go back to the opening remarks. Obviously, you spent quite a bit of time agency side before moving over to, to client. Um, let's talk a little bit more about your own sort of career journey you know what what was the transition like from uh, being an agency boss to going to work for a, a mega core like uh, Ford on the client side was that an easy transition to make yeah well I I've, I've spent probably um, the best part of a couple of decades working agency side I did actually earlier in my career uh, work client side for about five years um, um, back in the day showing my age now I worked for a compact computers uh, before they were acquired by Hewlett Packard, and I was um, I was head of advertising for Compaq in Europe, and then I came back to the UK. I was marketing director actually for 
for Compaq in the UK. Um, and then I actually was involved in setting up Compaq's first ever e-commerce operation. Right. Uh, that was when Dell started to sell direct and, and eat everybody's lunch. So we're going back a while now. So I guess that was a taster for me. Um, prior to that, I'd already done sort of four or five years agency side, did five years uh, client side, and then came back into the agency world for the for the best part of the last two decades. And um, yeah, so the transition perhaps has been less of a jolt for me than it would have been had I not had that experience. Um, but it's um, it, it's incredibly interesting. I'm I, I'm enjoying it. I just think the breadth of challenges that I'm faced with right now in terms of our transformations as a company and our marketing transformation, uh, no day is the same. Um, every day brings brings new challenges. And um, I think I'm enjoying being part of an organisation that is focused on one brand and one agenda. Um, I guess when you're manning, managing an agency, when you're CEO of an agency, obviously you've got multiple clients to deal with, which is a good thing, obviously. But it's also a very challenging thing because you're obviously splitting your time and trying to give every client your best. So the focus I'm enjoying and the opportunity to really dig deep and get quite forensic about things that sometimes historically you'd have had to either skirt or perhaps be a little more, yeah, um, you'd have less time to invest. So that that's uh, refreshing. You mentioned it, the focus on one brand, Ford, obviously. Does it amuse you that some of the agencies that work for you would say they actually own more brands within their own agency than uh, Ford itself does? I guess that depends how you define a brand. Um, we've got multiple brands. If you consider nameplates, you know, the Fiesta of this Fiestas of this world and the Mustangs and, you know, the Broncos on the other side of the pond and the F-150s. Um, I guess really we're managing lots of brands. But in terms of the master brand and the well-being of one master brand, obviously focused on Ford, which uh, which is nice. At this point in the podcast, I want to play in some questions or a question that we have uh, that's been um, sent in from James Irvine of Wonderman Thompson. Could we have that question, please? Hi, it's James Irvine, client partner at Wonderman Thompson. Um, Peter, we talk about agility. My question is, does that mean that you require an agency to be more reactive to changing client needs or more proactive to what those changing client needs might be? Over to you, Peter. Well, obviously, we, we do a bit of work with Wonderman Thompson, mm. so I, I guess I need to consider my response <laughs> He's rather doing carefully. doing status yeah. update live. I mean, speak. I think, uh, yeah, nice to hear from you, James. <laughs> I think, uh, I think um, if, if, if I'm honest, it's both, right? I mean, clearly, you, you, you want your agencies to be on the front foot. You, you want them to have not just, you know, fast reaction times and fast delivery in terms of the briefs that you give them. Obviously, that's important in a world where, you know, you might have 24 hours or 48 hours to really capitalise on a moment for a brand, uh, especially in social channels. So that's really important. You know, and, and you want your agency to deliver on the brief that you gave them. I think what's frustrating sometimes is you give an agency a brief and they come back and say, well, we read your brief, but actually we've got a completely different idea for you. Well, I'm interested in the other idea, but please respond to the initial brief first. For, for me, it's both. And I, I think, you know, that the, the best agencies clearly are able to um, manage their thinking and their people both in the present in terms of what's required today. But they've always got that that one eye on what's ahead uh, in terms of, you know, whether that be the next three months, six months, whatever it might be. And I think, um, you know, that that proactive thinking 
um, I think is the lifeblood actually of, of agency client relationships. I think if, if a, an agency is only coming back to you and responding to briefs and then sat there waiting for the next one, clearly that's not very fulfilling for either party. So for me, the, the lifeblood is obviously delivering on those great briefs, but, but being that proactive partner. And I guess back to the example we, we were talking about earlier, you know, agencies thinking outside of the category. You know, isn't it wonderful when an agency not only comes back with an idea that you haven't asked for, um, but they also come back with an idea that's probably never been seen in your category before, that they may have cribbed or, or, or leveraged from somewhere else, but they're making it relevant to your category. So, yeah, we're, we're always looking for that. And on that theme, just building slightly, give us an insight. How do you judge these ideas that are maybe a little bit off brief? How do you judge what you will run with? Is it based on the um, provenance and status of the agency giving you the advice? Is it the cost? Is it uh, whether you're prepared to take a risk at any one time? How do you assess some of these innovative game changers that you must be presented with quite a lot? It's a really good question because I think for agencies and clients alike, proactive work can often be a very frustrating topic because you have a great meeting for an hour and everybody you know, lauds the great work and how proactive and unexpected it was. And then we all go back to our day jobs and don't have, actually have time to execute. It's a good question. For me, organisation um, will normally have, you know, for, for want of, of a number, perhaps three, four, five really big things they're trying to get done or achieved in a given year. Some real focus. I mean, we all have the shopping list, but let's, let's, let's assume there are three, four, five things that we're all really focused on for the year. To me, what's really key is that any proactive idea is pertinent to those big challenges because then I'm able to see the immediate business value of acting on those. If I'm giving a, a, a proactive idea from somebody that's, you know, way down my shopping list, it's at number 18, I'm much less likely to act on it because my prioritisation in terms of budgets and my time and the business value that that idea is going to add to my business based on my priorities is minimal. So to me, I think it's contextualising that proactive work. You know, again, any any good agency will understand based on a good partnership, what a client's priorities are. And I think if those proactive ideas are based around the priorities rather than something that's completely left field, it's more likely to be entertained and potentially more likely to actually happen. That's a really good tip. And on the theme of those kind of tips that agencies should take on board, if you were to ever go back to running an agency, um, what would you take back with you that you would apply from your experience now that you, you didn't have when you were in agency world before? I think there's a, a really big difference between listening and listening for meaning. Explain a bit more, and I am listening. <laughs> or maybe I, I didn't, sorry. I think, uh, <laughs> I think sometimes as an agency, you, you will come into a room with a preconceived idea or a preconceived strategy, something that you're either desperate to present or a point of view that you really want to offload to the client. You think you've struck gold potentially, and you may have done, but I, but I think listening for meaning is really really important. And I guess what I mean by that is listening closely to every word that's said, but also listening between the lines, listening to the meaning of what's said versus just the words. And that might mean that you then reframe or repitch what you were about to say. It might mean that what you were about to pitch or say is actually not a, appropriate or applicable at all. So I think if I if I went uh, if I went back to agency world at some time I think I would strive to be a better listener 
And I think I strive to be a better listener for meaning, for true meaning of what a client is telling me. Going to be really resonating, I think, with a number of, of, of listeners, to, good listeners and meaningful <laughs> listeners to our podcast. Hopefully they're still here, Martin. Yes. And so coming coming towards the end then, I mean, in terms of the, the sort of the truths and the, the, the lessons that you've you've outlined that would be really interesting to not just agencies, but I suppose those on the supply side of um, of the of the marketing world. Um, if you could sort of sum up, what would be your top tip really for uh, an agency working with a big brand like Ford that they should uh, they should take on above all others to improve their performance? Understand, truly understand, as we were talking about before, where where that client's business is heading within the next two to three years. I think. Every business is going through such huge change right now, not just post-pandemic, but all the other things we talked about. And I, and I think we often, in, in client agency world, we, we sort of rotate from year to year. You know, we agree the scope, we sign off the, the money, we agree our team and our resource, and we crack on and we tick the briefs off during the course of the 12 months. Having that eye on the future, that two sort of three-year spectrum, it's incredibly important, not just in terms of understanding and contextualising the briefs that you're working on at that given time, but back to the proactivity we talked about, back to listening for meaning, back to context, back to very authentic relationships where an agency and a client are truly on the same page and truly understanding not just what they're about to execute on, but what may be over the hill and over the horizon. Um and you know we haven't we haven't talked about it a lot, but I think um, I think you know strategy departments within agencies, really good strategic partners for clients, are hugely important. You know, not not just because obviously great briefs often equal great work, and poor briefs don't, but the ability also for those for those strategy partners to be not just strategy partners but business partners. And, and to challenge and, and to understand some of the strategic thinking that a client might be having. So valuable, because I'm sure a lot of agencies start off thinking, well, we do this great work, let's show some case studies, let's say who we work for, let's show the awards we've won. But you're saying the number one tip is to really understand what matters to the people that matter, which is the client, the other side of the call or the room over the next two or three years. Yeah, and listen ab- to that. absolutely. And for... You know, for Ford's electrification and for Ford's, you know, digitization and connectivity of vehicles over the next, you know, five years and beyond, whatever it is, in another category, there will be an equivalent. And for an agency to understand what that is and use that as a canvas for their thinking, I think that's gold dust. Final serious question before the uh, we get to the lighter-hearted one. Hmm. Um, we talked about a lot about advice for agencies and agency leaders. What advice would you give to other marketeers about how they can get the best out of their agencies? The, the supplier versus the partner relationship is a very, very different one. And, and I think marketeers, you know, we're, we're all under pressure, of course. Agencies are and, and marketeers are as well. But I think showing real empathy and understanding for an agency and the journey it's on, taking the time to build those relationships, um, I think is incredibly important. I think if you're just ducking in and out of a meeting room and 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 not really investing in the relationship, then I think the quality of the work and the thinking will suffer. And I think trust is so important in our business, not just in terms of the relationships themselves, but also in terms of the work. 
you know, often a client is required to take a little bit of a leap of faith, to take that punt, to push harder than perhaps they'd envisaged they were going to do. And you're very unlikely to do that if you're not trusting of the individuals. And you're only going to be trusting of the individuals if you've taken the time to invest in those relationships. Does make sense. But how does that sit with the modern world or the, the you know, the world of procurement and the numbers game in your in your line of work? I mean, you may have a great relationship with an agency, but then procurement department would see it differently possibly, or is that a is that a sort of cliche in the client agency relationship? Yeah, I think it might be. And I think, you know, the onus is on marketing directors and CMOs and marketeers to communicate the value of an agency relationship internally to procurement. I mean, clearly, if an agency isn't performing, then the numbers will probably go the same way. But if an agency is doing great work, the relationship is strong, the trust is there, I think it's up to marketeers to impart that relation, that, that, that information to procurement and, and for that, permeate the financial conversation in a way that is fair and meaningful. Do agencies help themselves enough there by providing... ROI insight or is that just up to internally you and your colleagues to assess before or do you look to the agencies to help you out I think I think we're all um we're all swamped by data aren't we so um I, I think ultimately we we probably tend to rely more on our own data I mean if we you know whether it's be you know brand tracking or campaign tracking or, right. or metrics whatever it might be I think it's hard to take on board third-party metrics I think I think it's it's more likely that we'll rely on our own data to make those calls Fair enough. So, no, understood. And, and, and thank you for sharing all those comments and advice. We always end the Dog and Bone podcast with this kind of traditional, slightly more light-hearted question. In your long and varied career, which we now know went sort of agency, client, agency, client. Um, I don't know how you packed it, packed it all in, actually, but well done. <laughs> um, what has been your most embarrassing moment in your business career? My most embarrassing moment? There have been a few. Those that I could publicly talk about? Um, no, not necessarily. <laughs> so I, I, had, um, I had quite an embarrassing moment in a car park in Slough. When I joined Havas, uh, or Euro RCG as it was at the time, um, I joined initially to run the Reckitt Ben Kieser business globally uh, for, for uh, Euro RCG. Big piece of business. And the European headquarters of, of Reckitt is in the uh, the very salubrious location of Slough. And I was meeting our, our global CEO uh, at the time there, uh, David Jones. Uh, and he was bringing with him to the meeting uh, Vincent Bolloré, who obviously owns Havas uh, and uh, is a big shareholder in Vivendi and other, and other big uh, corporations. And um, I was very much looking forward to, to meeting Vincent. What I hadn't recognised was that I stepped out of the car. Neither of my shoes were laced. I was in the car park on my knees, lacing up my shoes, at which point David tapped me on the shoulder and said, Pete, meet Vincent. Uh, and there I was on my knees, lacing my shoes up in a slough car park. So it wasn't exactly the plan in terms of uh, how I wanted to uh, create that first impression. Thought you were particularly, uh, I suppose, subservient. Exactly. Ad, ad man yes. going down yeah. on bended knee yeah. for him. Yeah. I mean, it's 38 minutes. It's gone by in, in a jiffy. Really, really useful. I think in my opening remarks, I talked about uh, what suppliers uh, need to know. Maybe I should have said what partners need to know. Within that, possibly lies part of the uh, part of the transition that agencies have to go through. Thanks for sharing 
your thoughts today with us on The Dog and Bone. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you for the time. Thanks for joining us on The Dog and Bone. Please subscribe to the podcast and if you have any questions or suggestions, do get in touch via our website, dogandbone.dog or send us an email at woof at dogandbone.dog. Listener.